Welcome to the Love Reimagined Podcast. If you're tired of hearing about a God who is supposedly represented perfectly through Jesus, but is less kind than you, your grandma, and even Hitler, this podcast is for you. We welcome you to join Joe Chadburn, that's me, and friends as we reimagine Father through the perfect lens of Christ. Now, we occasionally tip a few sacred cows, but be assured that no members of the bovine species were harmed during the recording of this episode you are about to enjoy. Hi, everyone. It's good to be with you again. We've been breaking down Ephesians verse by verse. You can check out uh, all those episodes at lovereimagined.org the YouTube channel, or the Love Reimagined podcast. We also have a Facebook group, a Love Reimagined Facebook group, that you can join by messaging me. You can also reach me uh, through the contact page at lovereimagined.org. Just fill in uh, you know, whatever you'd like, the information there, and let me know uh, if you'd like to join that group or if you have any questions you'd like answered on further videos and podcasts. Be more than happy to address those things. But without further ado, I'm going to get into today's teaching on Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. So Ephesians 1, 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now Ephesians 1, 7 in the David Bentley Hart version says this, In whom, by whose blood, we have the fee for liberation, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So what set us free? The complete forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, is what set us free. That's what liberates us, knowing that we are free from sin. We are forgiven for all sins, past, present, and future. I'm going to talk more about this here, but I highly encourage you to read Hebrews 8 through 10 as well as companion scriptures to what I'm sharing right here. Now, Ephesians 8, 7 through 13 says this, For if that first covenant, the old covenant, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. That's the covenant we are under. And with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the out of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says the Lord. So he said, I'm going to do this all by myself here. You're going to see that it's all me, but it's not anything that's humanly manufactured. It's just something that I invite you to participate in. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he said a new covenant, he made the first old. Now that which decays and waxes old is ready to vanish away. This was written prior to A.D. 70, when everything to do with the Old Covenant vanished away. When the Romans came in, destroyed the temple in A.D. 70, along with the genealogical records of the Jews, of the Levitical priests, when the Levitical priesthood was done away, when the sacrifices were done away, when all the elements were destroyed, when everything to do with that Old Covenant was completely abandoned 
abolished. It faded away. It it waxed away. It vanished away. It is done. We have a new covenant with better promises. We have a new royal priesthood. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our one perfect sacrifice, sacrifice for all the perfect representation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, loving humanity, uh, dying at, at our hands and, and because of our wrath, yet loving us unconditionally and showing us perfect love and forgiveness at the cross. And then he fills us with his love. He, he has filled us with his love, poured out his spirit on all flesh. Wow. <laughs> Once for all. And what a what a beautiful, wonderful thing we have here. Now, th there's a big difference between the blood of G Jesus and the blood of bulls and goats. I'm going to read Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 here. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a great and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. This is once and for all. It's eternal. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Yeah, the blood of bulls and goats were never perfect representations of God's love, forgiveness, and attitude towards mankind, which were always steadfast. So this blood of Jesus, this perfect sacrifice, wow, points us to the, co the complete forgiveness of sins. I'm going to say it again, past, present, and future. Imperfect, Old Covenant representations never equated to God's love and forgiveness being imperfect, okay? They simply failed to do what is revealed in 2 Corinthians 5.19, for God, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the entire cosmos to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, fully identifying with mankind at the cross, receiving our wrath, dying at our hands. Wow. And then including us in that death and his burial, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. He includes us in all of that, according to Romans 6 and in other places. So he counts us as one with him. We've all been included and everyone is invited to participate. This is such an amazing thing. This is something that, that God has done and that we can rejoice in today. I'm, I'm so excited about that right now. Yeah, he purges our conscience from dead work, something the blood of bulls and goats could not do, okay? So there's no longer a mindset of working to get in, but a mindset of working from within. This is not about human works. This is not humanly manufactured. Wow, nothing is. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, wow, kindness, brotherly love, all of these things in us are, are simply a, a, an organic, they flow organically as we just yield to Mr. Perfect who lives within us. Nothing is humanly 
manufactured. It's not about us fighting to be loved, to be accepted, to get in, to get close, any of that. There is no distance, okay, uh, in the Spirit. You are in Christ. Christ is in you, and we can rejoice in that. And you don't have to do anything uh, to purge your own sins. They've been taken care of past, present, and future. So yeah, he purges our conscience from dead works. It's no longer a mindset of working to get in, but a mindset of working from within. Paul wasn't bragging what he said in Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was a spiritual reality. It's Christ. And so we have this metanoia, this renewed mind, our conscience, our very conscience purged from dead works to serve the living God. We say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because he says it. My sins are forgiven past, present, and future because he says it. There is a renewed mind where we begin to agree with God, to think like God, to speak like God, and to act like God, and everything changes. So that word for sin is harmatia in, in the Greek. And the primary definition is that which disqualifies one from receiving a portion in the prize, okay? It's not what sends people to eternal conscious torment. That's not what this teaches, okay? And sin is missing the mark, a slip up, a failure, a fault, a mistake. And yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that because I don't just gloss over sin here, okay? Sin is, sin is serious, but sin is not our identity. We identify with Christ. Yes, I'm going to get into that a little bit more here. But I like to use the baseball analogy. Any Anyone who goes into the batter's box and is always has a mindset of being afraid to strike out is probably going to strike out. So, it, yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's about perpetually striking out versus hits and home runs. And all that is determined by our focus. And what we focus on is what we are going to project and manifest in our lives, okay? People who believe that their past, present, and future sins have been forgiven actually sin less and less. That's the truth, yeah. So the guilt, fear, condemnation, and shame, <laughs> shame and believed consequences for striking out leave people with little to no confidence in the batter's box. I'm going to ask you, how do you view yourself? as a hitter or a striker-outer. God says you're a hitter. He says that, that 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he became sin who knew no sin, that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're no longer a sinner. You're no longer a sinner saved by grace, okay? You are a saint. You are a holy one. You are, you are his child. You are loved. That's how he sees us. That's how he sees mankind, whether we see ourselves like that or not. And the Holy Spirit continues to work in us and around us and all over us and all over this world to convince us. You know, uh, I believe he does. Yes, he does things sovereignly, but he convinces us through each other as we build one another up by speaking the truth in love as joints of supply speaking this love that, hey, you're not condemned. You are loved. Your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. You're already included. This is an all-inclusive deal. You're here. Now participate. You're invited. Yeah. So, this is amazing. So are you a hitter or a striker-outer, okay? Or a striker-outer saved by grace, okay? Because 
Wow, because a loser in their mind, if someone thinks they're a loser that's saved by grace, they'll ultimately behave by a loser, <laughs> like a loser, because they think they're a loser, but you're not a loser, okay? You're a hitter. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're precious. You're beloved. You are chosen in Him from before the foundation of the world, okay? And uh, <laughs> what he doesn't count against us and what we can hurt ourselves by doing are two different things. Sin is like gravity. Sin is a punishment in and of itself. And, and thank the Lord, we can, we can listen to him, get his mind and change the course of, of certain things. We don't have to live in certain things. And a lot of times we don't have to, to experience horrible consequences of certain things. But like gravity, uh, it, like I say, it's a punishment in and of itself. If I step off a building, there's an immediate consequence. And God didn't do it to me. God didn't throw me off the building. I did it myself, okay? Trying to defy a, a law of gravity, thinking that I was Superman. So it's not God that does. God doesn't do anything bad to anybody. He doesn't do evil. He doesn't bring evil, okay? I'm going to talk a little bit about this further down in the teaching. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the blood of bulls and goats could not purge our conscience, okay, and cause us to be righteousness conscious. It kept us in sin consciousness. That's mankind and in, in the old covenant. And I was born in 1966, so I've never been under the old covenant. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say that again. I've said it in other teachings. Yes. So yeah, so we have this unmerited favor and divine enablement through Christ, okay? And sinning doesn't make you a sinner sinner any more than barking at the postman makes you a dog. It simply means that you're identifying and acting like something you're really not. And you need to catch God's mind about who you really are and to think, speak, and, and act accordingly. And he enables us to do that by his spirit. Wow. And when we know that we're free from sin, when we know that we are completely forgiven, it helps us to walk in that. Yeah. So you can't make sin. You, I mean, you can't make sense of you being his righteousness, okay? Well, try making sense of him becoming sin. It doesn't make sense, okay? Wow. Wow. He, 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 he took on all of our sin so that we could be partakers of the divine nature, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So you're no longer a sinner. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And as long as you and I focus on that and practice his presence and, and walk in that, we will sin less and less, and his beauty will be revealed and we'll really be hitting the target. And that's a cool thing. With all these things he has every moment, God is always up to something, but he needs man in the earth. That's how he's, he's created us to be, to be partakers of his nature. To, to He said, you live in the spirit, now walk in the spirit. Participate in what I'm doing. I invite you into the perichoresis conversation between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I invite you as a participant listen in, pray. You, you can be an intercessor. You can interview me. I, I want you to intervene. I want to use you to intervene. I want to participate through you. Yeah, not use you like a screwdriver or a hammer, but you're my son and my daughter. I want to manifest my nature and my love through you. 
Just be in tune with who I am and who I say you are. Behold yourself in the mirror of the word, the perfect logos of God, Jesus Christ. See him, see yourself in him, and you begin to function like him more and more, and things in your world will change. I mean, if everybody gets hold of this, more and more people get hold of this, this is how the world is turned upside down. It's through God's upside down kingdom of love. Yes, it's not through politics. It's not through uh, the military. It's not through the weapons of, of, of carnality. This is through love. This is a love revolution that I believe that, that God has been up to from before the foundation of the world. And he invites us to participate in this. And I think more and more people are becoming enlightened to this and i think that is uh that is beautiful okay yeah so we have this forgiveness the removal of sins past present and future i want to ask you this are we called to forgive people before they apologize to us and truly repent truly have a mind change and we see a change in their actions no we're called to forgive them before they apologize to us before we see any change doesn't mean if somebody steals from you that you're going to trust them with your bank account after that. That's not what they're, they're saying. But you can you can forgive. You sure can. And you can love. And you can, you can walk in love toward them. And you can listen to the Holy Spirit and walk in His love. Okay? So that doesn't mean, uh, yeah, that doesn't mean trusting them with, with your life savings or uh, trusting them in a, an intimate relationship, perhaps but you can do your part to walk in love and to yield to the Christ within you. And that's, that's, that's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Okay. So, and, and for those of you who believe in eternal conscious torment, let me ask you a question. If your forgiveness spared uh, your children, your great grandchildren, your aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, mothers, fathers, all your relatives from eternal conscious torment, if your forgiveness would do that and everybody around you, would you forgive? Okay. I believe your answer is going to be yes, and I don't believe that we should expect anything less from God. Okay, I want to get into Hebrews uh, 10, 1 through 31. I'm going to be reading a little bit here, but this has a lot of significance, okay? It says here in Hebrews 10, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, could never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Again, here we are back at this sin consciousness versus righteousness consciousness. You couldn't have that. As soon as these the blood of bulls and goats was sacrificed for you, you sin right after that sacrifice is done. You still have this on your conscience. People still thought they were were sinners. They still they they had no way of getting out. It was it was something they the Holy Spirit did not uh, you know indwell them in the same way that He indwells us today. This habitation that we have with Christ in us and us in Christ. This is an amazing thing. This new covenant. Yeah. But in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Yeah, <laughs> the offerings could cover those things, but they couldn't take them 
away and they had to be repeated. So, so yeah, this, this is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Why, when he comes into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you would not, but a body you prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have no pleasure. Then said I, see, I come in the volume of the book. It is written to me to do your will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offering for sin, you would not. Neither had pleasure in them, which are offered by the law. Then said he, see, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. God's plan was always Jesus. Jesus has never been plan B. But the law led, led mankind to the place where they, could, they understood <laughs> or hopefully come to the place they understand uh, that they cannot you know, please God in and of themselves, that they're always going to uh, feel worthless, feel unworthy, and scrape and strive for something uh, that, that God has always ordained. It's always been his nature to forgive and to love, yes, but they did not want to listen to him. They said, God, we don't want to listen to you. Get Moses to talk to us and we'll do whatever he says. And that's not what he wanted, okay? But <laughs> that didn't work because the commands in and of themselves would not work. They kept coming up short. And, and But through, through Christ, everything has changed because he is the fulfillment of the law and, and the prophets and he dwells in us. And we can live by the Spirit, and we can live in this perfect forgiveness, not being sin conscious. I, I love this. Yeah. So, you know, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings for sin you would not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, See, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. And everything was done away with in AD 70. Jesus did away with it on his body, in his body, in his, his death, burial, resurrection and ascension that was all taken care of. However, the remembrance of those things with the, the, the outward sacrifices and the religious practices of, of the Jews was done away with in AD 70. So that was completely taken away, and that's what the writer of Hebrews points to. Verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. I love it. You're sanctified. You're holy. You're set apart. Your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. It says, and every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from now on expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And he calls us a royal priesthood. We are one with Christ. We are one with the great high priest. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. And this is this is a deeper teaching, and perhaps we'll get into Hebrews in the future. I'm just skimming over this, but it's amazing. For by one offering, verse 14, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that, he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. I encourage you to read the rest of Hebrews 10, but read it in the light that all those things were vanishing away. There's a place in there where it talks about if you go back, you, and he's talking about backsliding 
into that sacrificial system, then there remains no forgiveness, okay? Under that, uh, under that system, although perfect forgiveness is still available and everybody is included, he's telling them if they go back to that system and that they're doing those things, those that did were caught up in Jerusalem and in that particular you know, geographical location when the Romans invaded in AD 70 and there was uh, consuming fire and, and horrible indignation that Jesus had warned, um, he had warned his disciples about in the Olivet Discourse. So you can, you can see that and you can learn more about that in my series I did with Colin McIntyre. You can just go to loveryimagine.org, but on Matthew 24, fulfilled. It's absolutely amazing. So this is not saying that 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 there's no more sacrifice for sin, and if you sin again, you're you know uh, you're going to hell. That's not what that is teaching at all. He's warning them that there is no there is no other sacrifice besides Christ, and if they continue in their ways, uh, Jerusalem was going to be set on fire, and those who were practicing uh, old covenant Judaism would burn, and and so many did during that time when we're massacred and, and just the, the horrible things when you read Josephus. And again, Colin and I cover that in the Matthew 24 series, and I encourage you to dive into that. So that's not talking about if somebody sins after they, uh, yeah, after they receive Jesus' love and acknowledge that and, and, and are participating, that if they, you know, <laughs> if they get upset in traffic or something, that they're hellbound. That's not what this talking to. Um, the writer of Hebrews is speaking explicitly to Jews and warning them about a significant event that is coming up and letting them know that that old covenant way will not work. Okay, so that's that's the crux of it. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 just reiterates that it's a prophecy about uh, about the new covenant. And it's the one that actually the writer of Hebrews quotes. Okay. So was forgiveness offered in the Old Covenant? Yes, it was. So why Jesus? What's the difference? Jesus purged our conscience from dead works. We now have the mind of Christ through the Spirit of Christ. We no longer have to be sin conscious. We can be righteousness conscious. Was there unmerited favor under, under the Old Covenant? Um, I believe there was, okay? And I'll dive deeper into that, and I have in, in other teachings. But, but was there divine enablement? Uh, not in the same way. We're a new creation under the new covenant. We are Holy Spirit empowered. We have the mind of Christ. We, the, and we have the Holy Spirit that continually cries, Abba, Father, even in the midst of when he's correcting us or anything else is happening in our lives. We can know and, and acknowledge that our sins have been forgiven past, present, and future through the perfect blood of Christ, the perfect sacrifice, God's perfect selfie and representation, yes, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself. So we have this redemption, full deliverance. We're loosed through his blood, which perpetually speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood spoke revenge. Jesus' blood speaks forgiveness, past, present, and future. Now, when we talk about redemption. Let's go back and look at Boaz in the old covenant here, okay? He was a kinsman redeemer to Ruth. And this uh, formal declaration of redemption, okay, said, you are mine and I've always wanted you. 
it wasn't uh, it wasn't this okay i'm going to kill my son because i can't stand you you filthy pig no okay or someone has to appease my anger and incur my wrath for me to pretend to like you that's not how it was jesus did not come to change god's mind about us Jesus came to, to, to change our mind about God, and God came in Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, suffered at our hands to show us His true nature and our true nature and who we were created to be, showing us what it is to be truly human. He is the prototype Son, the firstborn of many brethren. Isn't that awesome? I believe so. Yeah. So... Yeah, 2 Corinthians 5.19, again, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the cosmos to himself. It's the picture of perfect forgiveness with the inclusion of the tripartite Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's saying, you, you were too ignorant to know how much I love you, so I did this. This is, this is the ultimate sacrifice. This is the ultimate act. This is the ultimate display for you to know this, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit paid the price to show us His love, His inclusion, His forgiveness, His caring, wow, His heart, and, and to reveal to us our true nature as, his, as Jesus' brothers. Wow. Man, wow. He suffered at our hands, we were living as widows and orphans, but the cross showed us how much we belong. His blood was shed by us to open our eyes, and he showed us at the cross how much we were always valued, loved, cared for, our sins forgiven past, present, and future. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Amazing. Now, Matthew 6, 9-14, I'm going to talk about some scriptures that people use when they don't understand the nature of God's forgiveness, and scriptures that if we don't really uh, apply a proper hermeneutic, they appear to contradict everything that's been said in the scriptures that I've already expounded on. So uh, let's get into this because this is this is really good and it's important for us to know. All right. Matthew 6, 9 through 14. And we know it as the Lord's Prayer, but it's the disciples' prayer. It's the one he taught us to pray. After this manner, therefore, pray you, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Okay. Now we have to see what type of trespasses are being talked about. And really that word trespass is best translated as debt. And what this is really saying is lead us away from civil suits and deliver us from evil. <laughs> lead us away from debtor's prison, okay? And from being dragged into court, which happens so much in that litigious society and even happens in ours today. Um, the David Bentley Hart translation puts it this way, and I love this. The same passage, therefore, pray in this way, our Father who are in the heavens, 
Let your name be held holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will come to pass as in heaven, so also upon earth. Give us today bread for the day ahead and excuse us our debts just as we have excused our debtors. And do not bring us to trial, but rescue us from him who is wicked. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory unto the ages. Then he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you should not forgive men, neither shall your Father forgive your offenses. Now what this is saying, nowhere does this equate to eternal conscious torment or that your, your sins are not forgiven. This, this is about debt. You will you'll still have to deal with the effects of squeezing razor blades. You're still going to have to deal with civil authority. You're still going to, to have to, to deal with those things. And the consequences of sin, again, it's like gravity. So, so although all your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future, like you said, there's still a, uh, a price that we pay, and that price can be even greater if our mind is not renewed and we're not thinking, thinking like God, okay? So this is brought out even deeper in Matthew 18, 23 through 35. It says, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven like to a certain king which would take account of his servants? And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought to him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all they had in payment to be made. The servants therefore fell down and worshiped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found out found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay that you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and sought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told to their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said to him, Oh, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you desired me. Should not you also have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if from your hearts you forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Okay, he had to; he was delivered. Okay, to 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 gravity to what he had done to himself. He made his own bed because he would not forgive. Yeah, but here and he's and he's paying a price. There is a consequence in this earth. But there was an end game. He did this till everything, till all he had to do it, uh, till there's an end game. He paid all that was due. Okay. First century prisoners would stay in prison until someone <laughs> paid off their debt. Here's good news in the year of Jubilee. Okay. You'll find that in Leviticus 25. Every 50 years, <laughs> debt was wiped free. Okay. Jesus is our Jubilee. And the king affords us the choice to sit in our stubbornness, even though the debt has already been paid. Now, this is an amazing thing. You need someone to pay off your debt. He's already done it. But the point here is 
<laughs> you can still squeeze razor blades. You can, you can either walk in the forgiveness that he's given. And again, this does not, I do not believe at all that this equates to eternal conscious torment. This is until this person comes to their senses in this life, or perhaps in the life to come, when they they see that, hey, the, the, the king has already paid everything. Now I just, I just got to forgive just as he has forgiven me. And, and that is the end game. Again, there's an end game here. It was till all, <laughs> till he paid all that was due. You can't pay all that's due if there's eternal conscious torment. And I'm going to tell you, if you see Jesus face to face and you experience his perfect forgiveness, I, I don't believe you're going to be holding razor blades or not forgiving anybody else. But so much, again, of this also speaks of natural debt and and the things that happened because of it. And he's warning them, yeah, forgive others their debts uh, just as you have been forgiven your debts. And this this is, uh, yeah, this is an important thing so that you are not uh, sent, uh, yeah, living in some sort of prison. And uh, unforgiveness, again, is its own prison. It brings its own torment. It's like squeezing razor blades. Yeah. So, and and I want to ask this too. Why would you ask God not to lead you into temptation? James 1, 13 through 18 says this, okay? Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You're going to be walking as zombies. You're going to be walking in dead works. Your conscience not purged from dead works when you don't understand forgiveness and you're not righteousness conscious, okay? So, yes, God does not lead us into temptation, and again, that's not what uh, the disciples' prayer, what, the, what they call the Lord's Prayer, is talking about. When, when they say, lead us not into temptation, God doesn't lead us into temptation. Again, that was talking about civil court for debts. It was talking about lawsuits. And it was talking about how people could be sold into servitude or placed into a debtor's prison. And they were going to have to pay the price, but there was an end game to it, okay, until the point where they came to their senses, like the prodigal son I talked about uh, in, a, uh, in a previous broadcast. I'm going to move on here. Here's another, uh, another scripture that people use, 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9, and I'm going to read that in the context of the chapter, but 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that sounds like confession is a prerequisite. Confession for every little sin, okay? Uh, whether you realize it or not, or commission or omission uh, can put you in a real bad place, okay? And that you're not forgiven past, present, and future. But I'm here. To, I'm here to tell you this, okay? Uh, uh, this this verse is not a daily body wash to receive forgiveness and fireproof yourself for every instance where you miss the mark, whether it's a sin of commission or omission. Okay. Let me let me read. Uh, I'm going to read this. 
the the chapter in a, in a minute here, and it is very short. But I want to ask you: Do you suffer eternal conscious torment for every unconfessed sin? Do you really believe that? Um, I was once talking with a lady, and my wife and I had moved to Greenville, South Carolina, and we had pastored a church in Kinston, North Carolina. We were kind of in between assignments, and we we had a uh, we had a wonderful Bible study going on in uh, in Greenville that we had developed after I had had this conversation with her, and we went on to co-pastor a church, or to be one of the, on the ministry team there at, at a church in Atlanta after that. But while we were in these middle stages, I was, I was uh, told that, uh, that, I, that I was in sin for not joining a local church yet, and that if something were to happen to me, that God would not forgive that until I had confessed my sin Okay, and that I could actually suffer eternal conscious torment for that. And I asked her, I said, well, if you and your husband get into a little disagreement, okay, or somebody gets upset uh, in traffic on the way to church, and you're struck by an 18-wheeler, and you didn't get a chance to confess your sins, do you believe that you're going to suffer eternal conscious torment? Do you believe that your sins won't be forgiven? It was like, mm, you know, the answer you get when somebody doesn't have an answer. And people don't have an answer for that, okay? Now, let me read Let me read 1 John and then talk a, a little bit about this, okay? 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, this is Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on and our hands have handled of the word of life. Jesus, the Logos, the perfect logic of God. For the life was manifested and we've seen it and bear witness and show to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. They show it through their life in the Spirit, a life that is uh, is fueled by knowing that their sins are forgiven past, present, and future. That which we have seen and heard declare we to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, I want you to know this. First John was written to a mixed group of uh, comprised of Christians, Jews, and Gnostics, okay? There were participants and non-participants. There are those who had received forgiveness, uh, past, present, and future of their sins. They had received Jesus, and those who claimed that they had no sin, these were the Gnostics. They claimed that Jesus also did not come in the flesh, that his body was some sort of a, a magic trick or something. And they believed that uh, that they were spirits. So anything that was done in the body really didn't matter. So they claimed that they were without sin. And this is who this is written to, including uh, many of the Jews, I believe. And in uh, John 8, 41, Jesus says, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we be not born of fornication, we have one Father, even God. So they're insulting Jesus, calling him a bastard, denying the virgin birth, um, as well as saying that, that you know that they have one Father, even God, and and uh, you know we're we're not guilty of anything. 
Uh, so this, this, is, this is some crazy stuff. So again, you go to verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. So these people were not able to participate because they didn't believe that they had any sin to begin with. So they didn't believe they had had to be cleansed of anything. Okay, <laughs> therefore they didn't believe in divine enablement either. So he's saying, "Hey, this is this is not the way here, guys." He's he's letting him know. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, if if you don't admit that there, that there's any sin, if you say that you had no sin, which that wasn't Christians. Okay, those were not the believers. They didn't say that they had never sinned. They understood that they had sinned. That Jesus died. <laughs> for their sins and loved them totally and became sin who knew no sin that they might be made to the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But if you see no reason for that, then you're just going to keep walking in that crazy deception. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. <laughs> so that, this, this is, so this is who this was written to and why this was written. It's not that you have to uh, confess all the time as some kind of a body wash in order to receive uh, God's forgiveness, past, present, and future, or fireproof yourself, okay? Or, or worry about if there's any unconfessed sin. Yeah, I've heard people, I heard a preacher not long ago, he was all upset over, over a gentleman in his congregation who had passed away, and he's like at his bedside continuously just making sure the guy didn't have any unconfessed sin, just trying to stir up his memory. Hey, can you remember anything? You sure there's nothing wrong in your life? You sure there's nothing that you got to uh, confess of? Now, 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 I'm going to tell you this. There probably was. There's sin in all of our lives. There's times where we miss the Holy Spirit and we're supposed to minister to some home, homeless person or supposed to speak a particular word to someone, to speak to encourage somebody, and we're engrossed with whatever else, at Walmart or at work or whatever, and our mind just was not, we were not practicing the presence of God. We were not practicing um, and listening to Mr. Perfect at the moment, and we missed it, and we didn't even realize it, okay? So again, this was not written, uh, this, this, these epistles were not just written to Christians. You had, you had Christians, Jews, and Gnostics. So those who had confessed that they, they said they had no sin needed to admit that, that there was sin uh, in, order to, in order to receive, yeah, and participate in what was already a done deal, their sins being forgiven past, present, and future. Okay. Yeah. And again, there's a built-in self-inflicted consequence of sin, just like the law of gravity. It is not God punishing anyone for sin. Matthew, he warns us against sin because we fail to bear his beautiful image. We fail to look like him, to think like him, and to and to and to speak like him and to act like him. And and he doesn't want us, he does not want us focused on sin. Because again, what you focus on is what you'll project. If you identify with what God says about you, that you're a hitter, you're going to hit a whole lot more and you'll get a whole lot more home runs and RBIs. Yes. If you, if you think you're a striker-outer, regardless of if you're in the category of striker-outer saved by grace and that's what your focus is on, that striker-outer part is always going to be there. But Jesus' blood is here. and his Holy Spirit is in us to show us, to teach us. We have the mind of Christ that we're not to be sin conscious. We are to be 
righteousness conscious. We are to be Christ conscious. Yes, 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 yes. There is restoration through metanoia, the word that the Bible translates horribly as repentance, okay? Uh, through the goodness of God. Romans 2.4 says that the goodness of God leads us to metanoia. The goodness of God brings us to the place where we can more and more think, speak, and act like our Heavenly Father and our beautiful brother Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Conscience purged from dead works through His blood, knowing all that our, our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Luke one seventy seven says, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins, the wiping away of their sins. John one twenty nine says, the next day John sees Jesus coming to him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of it. Yes, 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 yes. In Acts 5, 29 through 32, you'll see that the apostles preached the forgiveness of sins. They did the same in Acts 13, 38. Romans 5, 10 says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Um, Ephesians 4, 32 and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, in, for Christ's sake, has, past tense, already a done deal, forgiven you, past, present, and future. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, that's past, present, and future. Colossians 1.22, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and unreprovable in his sight. That's how God sees you. Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has quickened together with him, forgiven you all trespasses. Wow. When, when he died, he reckons you dead with him. Okay. When he, when he rose from the dead and ascended, he reckoned you in him. He fully identifies with you so that you can fully identify with him. First John 2 12, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. The old covenant even pointed to this. He will turn again, Micah 7.19. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103.12, I'm just about done here. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, Ephesians 6, when it talks about whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. I dare you to read that in context because it's talking about money. Okay, it's talking about where money is sown. It is not karma. There's no such thing as Christian karma where for every action there's an equal reaction. Okay, God's forgiveness, mercy, and goodness leads us to metanoia, to a change of mind, a change of heart where we can think and speak and act like sons and daughters of the Most High God. Again, Luke 15 that I talked about in Ephesians 1.5, when I did that teaching of the prodigal son, there's a place of perfect forgiveness, a beautiful representation of that that you can look at and see how the Father always loved <laughs> His Son. Yes, and He loves us. He's always loved us. Okay. If he, and then I'm going to go into Ephesians 1.8 real quick, okay? It says, wherein He has abounded toward or into us, wherein he's abounded, the, the word, the best translation is into us, wherein he has abounded into us in all wisdom and prudence. So in and through grace, we have superfluous, excessive, 
unmerited favor, perfect forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, and divine enablement with his unlimited supply of wisdom and prudence. In grace, he has abounded into us all. Yes, wisdom, that word is Sophia in the Greek, comes from the, the root word that's feminine, sophos, which means clear. It's the ability to apply divine revelation and knowledge in love, okay? Yeah, knowledge is not enough. There must be a clear Christ-like application. So he lets us know, yes, you live in the Spirit, and you know things, but you can live and walk this thing out. That's, that's the beautiful part about it. That's where we step out in his faith and let his faith that works through his love operate through us. It can't be humanly manufactured, but it can be yielded to. And that's a beautiful thing. He can be yielded to. Absolutely. Wisdom and prudence. Prudence is mental action or activity, intellectual or moral insight. So he has abounded toward us in all of this. He's placed all these things in us. Because we're in Christ, He's in us. And I think that's amazing, yes. Uh, just give you a couple more, more verses here. 1 Corinthians 2.16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it talks about the kenosis of Christ, Him laying down the privilege of, of deity and being a servant, yes. And us having that, mind. You don't mind being a servant when you already know that you're a son, that there's nothing greater you can be called, that your sins are forgiven past, present, and future, that you belong. Wow. Yeah. You don't have to, you're not out to impress anybody. You're just out to flow in love. So for now, I'm going to wrap it up with this. We'll get into Ephesians 1, 9 soon. We're going to be having a group, uh, Facebook room going on September 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Looking forward to that. And we'll be able to discuss anything that we've covered in Ephesians 1, 1 through 8 up to this point. Uh, you're welcome to join that if you'd like. Again, you can contact me if you'd like to join, be part of that Facebook group. Just go to lovereimagine.org and um, go ahead to the contact page. We would just, we would just like I say, love to have you join us for some unashamed Q and A, uh, and and we we really appreciate you so much. God bless. Have a wonderful week, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. And continuing in Ephesians, it'll be one nine, verse nine. Really brings out even more and more of this, but we can only cover so much at a time. So God bless. Love y'all. Have a great one. Thanks so much for being with us today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share with your family, friends, and those who have yet to discover their awesomeness and yours. You can also check us out at lovereimagine.org. Again, no cows were harmed during the recording of this episode.